Hello, and welcome to Next Generation Public Affairs, brought to you by Rudd Pedersen in Brussels. My name's Stefan Moller. Today, we'll be talking about digital advocacy. Political campaigners, NGOs, and marketers across Europe use digital tools every day to identify, engage, and mobilize advocates. In public affairs, not so much, but we probably should. In Brussels, where I'm based, as issues get ever more political, being able to build and demonstrate support from credible third parties is absolutely key to success. But we're not doing it, certainly not at scale. It's fair to say that digital advocacy for public affairs is far more advanced than the US, so I'm really pleased to welcome Mike Panetta to the show. Mike is an old friend and a partner at one of Washington DC's leading agencies specialized in advocacy, uh, and he has a wealth of experience uh, and advice to share with us today. So thanks so much for joining, Mike. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be with you today. Uh, so my name, as you said, is Mike Panetta. I'm based in Washington, D.C. I'm a partner at the firm Beekeeper Group. Uh, we like to call ourselves Beekeeper Group, and lots of uh, people ask us, do we have anything to do with bees? And the answer is no. We call ourselves Beekeeper Group because you know we think that the people you need to reach to impact public affairs are out there. And it's your job is to find them and drive them towards collective action. So that's, in a nutshell, what we do in t with, with clients uh, ranging from corporate public affairs to NGOs to advocacy organizations. We help our clients find their target audience to, to create the right message and then drive people towards some type of action, which will have an impact on a public policy discussion or, um, or regulatory action. That term, advocacy, we tend to use it as a fairly generic term for public affairs and lobbying on our side of the pond. How would you define it? Yeah, and you and I have had this, this conversation a few times, and I've talked with other people in, in Europe about it. And the, the term advocacy means slightly different things, I think, on, on different sides of uh, the pond, as you call it. We, in, in Washington, in the U.S., we use advocacy to generally describe the work of non-professional um, advocates. So that means people who are not being paid to, to lobby. Um, so we also use the term grassroots a lot, um, but the term advocacy generally encompass, encompasses the work of members of an NGO, um, the, you know, the rank and file members of an NGO, the employees of a, of a company, um, people who are passionate about an issue. Um, so the work of, of advocacy is generally when people of, of that nature, people who are not being paid, uh, take action to impact public policy by either writing letters to their elected officials, by writing letters to the editor or, or doing other uh, media outreach as a, as a citizen or or trying to shape the shape the environment of, around an issue by sharing material on social media or or getting their 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 friends or colleagues involved in the issue we so that's that is what we describe as the advocacy um and and our work at beekeeper group is helping organizations find their advocates and then driving them towards towards the action which will make a difference we use lobbying is more of the, the paid side of things. So organizations have lobbyists or they hire lobbyists and lobbying is generally seen, and again, these terms are sort of loose, but generally seen as the professional side of things. So you, you, a, a lobbyist is someone who actually goes into the 
the congressman or senator's office, meets with the staff, helps draft legislation or proposes language, um, gives the organizational view um, of, a, of, a, of a company or an association. So they're, they're, and generally these people are former staffers themselves. So that's what we say is lobbying. And then the, on the flip side of that is the advocacy. And they're sort of, you know, they work hand in glove together in Washington, but advocacy for, for our purposes are sort of the citizen activists taking action. One big difference, I think, between Brussels and D.C., on this front at least, is in, is in personnel and, and skills. The people who do grassroots or third parties or advocacy over here are usually the same as the people who do the, the lobbying, whereas in D.C. there are different roles within an organization, as they probably should be, really. And, and the people in these roles do different things day to day. They do. And, and it, it, the people we work with, the clients we work with, generally have someone who is uh, in charge of the lobbying and someone who's in charge of the advocacy. Sometimes they answer to the same, the same, the same, bo- the same boss. They'll answer to the same senior VP of government relations, but there's somebody whose job is more focused on the inside, meeting with the staff and knowing the ins and outs of the legislation and the amendments and the language, where on the other side is somebody who's, who's responsible for the organization of key stakeholders, whether they're employees, members of the NGO, other other doing outreach to find other people who are who care about this issue and want to take action on it. So they work, like I said, they work hand in glove, and they they're on the same team usually, but they have very distinct roles. Some people might say that we've been doing this sort of stuff for a long time, whether we call it advocacy or third parties or grassroots. What's so different now? I think it's different now because of the rise of digital campaigning and digital advocacy. You know, this this type of work, this type of finding stakeholders and concerned citizens, uh, you know, the people who can impact public policy as a decision maker by drafting messages to their their um, their lawmakers is is nothing new. It's it's been in in the U.S. It's happened since the the beginning of the of the Republic. I mean, it's, it's in our constitution that you have a constitutional right to address your government for grievances. And we've taken that, um, you know, taken that right for hundreds of years. I think what's happened in the last say, you know, 20 years and, and it, and it accelerates, it seems every year is the rise of digital advocacy because the, the, the cost barrier has, has plummeted. It used to be, you know, in the, you know, the generation ago, this sort of work was done with letters and, and and sent through the mail, and every time you sent something, there was a postage cost to that. And having somebody take the action, there was a cost to them as well. And you had to find the paper and the pencil and the envelope. Now, with these the, the rise of these digital tools, the cost of communication to to from from both sides, from the organization side to reach out to their advocates and for the advocates to contact their elected officials, has dropped to nearly zero in terms of the, the cost to, for these mass communications. And you see that on uh, with these, the, the, these organizations that have these email lists that are millions of people, these Facebook groups that are hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, the sheer number of people that can be reached through these tools it would, would, is, is mind-boggling compared to what it was just 20 years ago, 15 years ago. The, 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 amount you, the number of people you can reach and the asks you can make to do and the targeting you can do with your message to find the right group at the right time 
is is really unprecedented in in the history of of this of this work. So that I think is what has really changed is just the scale and the speed and the and the cost to entry has 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 just radically changed things. Do you want to give us an example of an advocacy program you've worked on recently or are currently working on? Sure, I can. I think a, a good one to talk about is some work we did uh, with the American Heart Association. Uh, so they're an NGO. Um, they're they're active on cardiovascular disease and um, and and heart and stroke uh, issues. Um, so we worked with them on a program, and this gets into American um, medical uh, health, the American healthcare system. So. Some of this may sound crazy to some of, some of your listeners, but so we worked on them, on them on a program on it was called what's called surprise medical billing. So you go in for medical treatment at a hospital, uh, even though that hospital is part of your insurance coverage uh, and therefore everything should be covered. Uh, a lot of people were getting bills in the mail uh, several weeks later for thousands of dollars for coverage that they thought for for care that they thought was was covered. And it turns out, for example, the anesthesiologist was out of their their healthcare network, so you'd be getting this massive bill. So we so that's that's the issue. So we were trying, and that's a it's a big issue in Congress. Uh, there's 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 fights among the insurance companies and the hospitals. So it's a you know it is an issue that's been been pending in Congress for a while. So we were working with the Heart Association uh, to collect stories, and that's a lot of what we do as adv- advocates as well is it's not always sending the message to Congress. Sometimes it's finding the people who have, who have lived through that issue and getting them to tell their story in a first-person sense and then sharing that story with others and use those stories to mobilize people to take action. So part of this project is we were trying to find people who, um, who had these surprise medical billings and what, it, and, and what it meant and what they went through in terms of fighting it. Um, and it turns out there's a lot of people who 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 suffered from this who were who were affected by it and we put together a website they could come to the website and they could share their story using the tools we had on the website with video and audio or written where they could let let others know what they went through and we collected those stories the heart association is using them to drive people to take action on the issue you touched upon the mechanics of advocacy what you can actually ask advocates to do you talked about collecting stories what else can they do? I'm thinking that Europeans are overall probably less likely to want to lobby their own representatives. But uh, what else could we be asking them to do? One thing, though, you know, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but we, we never ask people to lobby for us. We ask them to take action. So, you know, lobbying is sort of almost a dirty word for people who aren't in the industry. So, you know, we, you know, as a, as a citizen, you don't lobby. As a citizen, you take action. And the actions we ask people to take, uh, it it really it depends on where the issue is in in um, you know as it unfolds in in Congress or if it's at a, in a state le- uh, in one of the state legislatures. But typically, the actions we ask people to take are sending a letter um, via via online tools to their uh, elected representatives, so they're they're member they're a member of the House, they're members of the Senate, um, urging them to take specific action or support being specific about what we want them to ask. So that's one of the best practices we tell our clients is if you're going to have people write into Congress, you need to have sort of a specific ask. I'm asking you to support the bill number. Here's why I want you to support the bill number. So you're very specific about 
what the what the ask is in the letter, and then you we also a best practice is to get a personalized story there. So you know we set up the tools where someone can come in, they put in their their address, they get matched to their their their, their state or or congressional districts and their representatives in those offices, and then they can send that letter. So we try to make them as specific as possible, what the, what the ask is to support a bill, to co-sponsor a bill, to vote against a bill, um, to support something coming in or out of committee. And then we encourage people to put a personalized story there because otherwise you're just sending all these identical form letters. And that you know those, those have a place, but personalized stories from constituents make a big difference uh, and in, in, in offices, and that's what we strive to get our clients to do. And I think that's one of the key differences between the U.S. and Europe is that we have a very constituent-focused system. So we we are, um, you know, every member of the U.S. House is elected every two years. One third of the Senate is up every two years. Presidents up every four years. We we know when those elections are going to be. They are scheduled in advance. Um, so there is always the um, these these members of Congress and and the and the elected officials at the state level, they are very keenly aware of the fact that they're going to be back in front of the voters in a short period of time. So you know that's why I think the grassroots and the advocacy is so much stronger in the U.S. Is that it's sort of this carrot and stick where if you don't do what I want, I have the opportunity to vote against you. In, in, a, in a short, a relatively short period of time. So, um, members of the uh, members of Congress and, and and elected officials are very keen to that fact. So that's why they are, they, you know, they tune in to what their constituents are asking for. Um, and they're not going to just do any do everything that they're asked for, but they're very they're very aware of of that fact. So I think that, and that's very different than I think in Europe, where there's there's not that direct. You do if you don't do this, I'm going to vote against you. Um, sort of mentality. One thing I often get asked when talking about advocacy over here is something along the following lines: um, Who can we actually mobilize, given that we're supposedly on the wrong side of the public debate, or we're not an NGO? What would you say to them? Well, it's funny you say the the wrong side of an issue because you know someone's wrong side of an issue is someone else's right side of the issue. So. You know, it's 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 tricky. There are there are issues where it's much easier to mobilize because it's you know it resonates with the general public a lot a lot more. So um, so those are those are you know not easy, but those are you know it's a the strategies and tactics are pretty obvious what you need to do, and the messaging is is pretty pretty clear. Where it gets challenging is like you said when you're swimming upstream against public opinion. Um, and you want to advocate. So what we try to do is figure out who are, who are the key stakeholders, who, who benefits here and how do we, how do we find the, you know, obviously the, you know, the corporation and the, and the moneyed interest are going to benefit here, but how does that, who does that trickle down to that also benefits and how do we get, how do we get them to tell their story? You know, so for, for issues such like as, you know, as pharmaceutical, uh, issues, you know, that's where you focus on the researchers or you focus on the medicine um, you focus on the cures, um, you know, and, and, you, and you find the, find people to tell those stories, the researchers to tell their story, the people who have taken the, um, you know, taken the, the, the medicines, the products, and have them tell their story, how their lives are better. When you talk about issues like uh, fertilizer, um, you know, you, t- you don't talk about 
uh, the companies that make the fertilizer, you talk about the farmers that use it and you talk about the food that they bring. And then you pivot to what you need people to do um, to, to, um, to take that sort of public, the public policy action to advance what the, whatever the, that side is trying to do. Cynics over here might also ask something along the lines of, it seems like a lot of work. Is it really worth it? Should we not just be doing really targeted lobbying, for instance? Yeah, it, it can be a lot of work, and it definitely keeps us busy. Um, I think part of it is you, you want to work smarter, not harder when it comes to this. So like you say, just a little bit of focused lobbying could do the trick, and that, that could be the case. Um, and just a little bit of focused advocacy or grassroots could also do the trick. So I like to remind our clients, we don't need to boil the ocean. We need to put pressure where it matters on the uh, elected officials who are our are, are, are targets here. So, you know, in, in a vote in the Senate, there's 100 senators and a vote in the House, there's 435 members of Congress, you know, you know, in any or, or, or a key committee where um, a piece of legislation is being debated in any in any one of those scenarios, there's going to be people who are going to be with you and people who are against you no matter what. And then there's going to be what we call the swing votes, people who are on the fence, members of Congress who not sure which way they're voting. Maybe they're new. Maybe they just don't know. Maybe, are they what we call gettable? Are we able to persuade them? So you find, and because the way our system works, you know, members of Congress represent districts, which have a clear defined number of people in that district. And because we know, you know, if we know the districts we need to target, we know the voters we need to target. So we can run digital campaigns just in those districts aimed at those voters with the right message like we've talking about before, like we need to find out who are the who are the stakeholders and how can we how can we leverage and find them, and then drive them towards some sort of uh, action, whether we drive them to a website where they make a phone call or send a letter. Um, so it's it it doesn't need to be a massive campaign, uh, like you said. If you just a little bit of focus lobbying, you know, we do a lot of a lot of focused advocacy where we know we need to hit the Iowa's fifth district and. Texas's 23rd district and California's 15th district. And we, we run campaigns in, in those districts and try to try to get those elected officials to hear from their constituents uh, to, to, to change their vote. I just made up those districts, by the way, in terms of votes. But um, so there's a there's a saying uh, by a by a, a former senator that goes, when I, when, I, when I feel the heat, I see the light. And that's what we try to do is get these elected officials to feel the heat from their constituents so they um, know which is the right way to, to vote on these key issues. Mike, you spent a fair bit of time in Europe. You know us well. So what's your honest take? Can the sort of digital advocacy you've spoken about today work over here? You know, there's an example I saw several years ago in Europe that I think sort of proves the point. Um, it was the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, and uh, it needed to be passed by the Parliament in Wallonia. Ne- needed to pass, uh, you know, pass the trade agreement, and uh, a number of uh, you know farmer activists derailed that for for a while. Um, and it just shows you that there's this large multinational trade agreement, and how focused advocacy at one regional level could derail the whole thing. So it just kind of shows you that if you, if you know where the decisions are going to be made and know who the people are, um, who can influence that decision, you can have a, you can have a lot of power. 
um, to, to affect change. So, um, you know, that's, and that's something is similar to, you know, that I like that example because that's similar to how it works in the U S where if you can be focused on where you can make a difference and get your advocates to take action, to affect that decision, um, you don't need to reach a hundred senators or 400 plus members of Congress. You need to find the right ones. And again, that's, and that takes work too, but it's not, it's not, it's not like you say, having to do every, everything with everybody. When I attended your event in Annapolis last year, someone there predicted that advocacy would soon outstrip traditional lobbying spend um, in the U.S. Do you agree with that? Well, bigger in terms of dollars, I, I definitely think that's the case because there's a lot more you can spend money on, I think, with advocacy because it's not just the reaching out to the um, to these to these stakeholders getting to take action. I mean, this advocacy is sort of what we sort of generally brand under public affairs campaigns as well. So, you know, that is money spent on, um, like, like I said before, it's shaping the environment. So advertising, advertising, outreach, um, uh, doing uh, op-ed work, op, uh, opinion, opinion editorials, uh, that, you know, that sort of spend is, it can be a lot more than what you spend on your, your lobbyists to go work the, the halls of Congress, if you will. So, you know, I think, and I think that's where the trend is going is that, um, advocacy organizations, um, or, or corporations are spending more money shaping public opinion about an issue, um, than, working it on the inside. So they, like you said, though, they, they, they work together, um, because as an issue is perceived by the public, that elected official is, that is their constituency that they're being elected, elected by. So shaping the, shaping the attitudes of a constituency around a specific issue, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a bank shot back to the elected official. So I do think that I don't know who said that at our, at our conference, but I do think there's a lot of validity to that statement that uh, we're seeing that there's a lot more money and a lot more effort being spent on these public affairs advocacy campaigns than there is just just hiring some lobbyists and just trying to get it done. Because just hiring lobbyists who know the system and know the players, that works and that works for to a point. But for larger issues, there needs to be sort of what we call the public echo uh, around around the issue, and that's and that's shaping the environment, how people talk about an issue, how they perceive the issue, because that's going to influence ultimately um, the votes of the people who the, the the legislators who represent those people. Thank you so much, Mike. You've exhausted our questions for now. No doubt, as advocacy advances in Europe, we'll have more questions for experts like yourself. So perhaps I'll see you back on the show at some point in twenty twenty one. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. Hopefully we can uh, have a coffee or beer together in person sometime soon when, once all this uh, pandemic is behind us. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mike. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye for now. 